Welcome to the Medicare Meetup. I'm Meg Kepke, and I'm joined today by my colleagues and co-hosts, Melissa Cohen and Breda Eshelman. This podcast is brought to you by Arrera Health Group, a mission-focused policy, strategy, and operations practice committed to making healthcare more affordable, more accessible, and high quality for all. We meet monthly to recap the Medicare news of the day and look ahead. Tune in each month for fresh content and watch for our mini-series devoted to special topics throughout the year. Welcome to 2022. On today's show, we'll talk a bit about what we all missed in the news while we were in holiday recovery mode, as well as some upcoming APM milestones. And in a special segment, we'll dust off our crystal balls and forecast the year ahead. Melissa, Breda, hello, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, the, uh, the end of the year, uh, well, feels like seven years ago, um, but sometimes the end of the year, the start of the new year can bring frantic or festive or reflective energy, or it can just feel like deja vu. I'm curious if in our time off, anyone had any revelations or started an ambitious list of New Year's resolutions. Mine are pretty much the same as last year, basically most years, but this time I'm actually going to do it and I see no issue with this logic. I have two. First off, less judgment and more grace. You never fully understand others' circumstances. I think this is especially true in times of COVID where people can feel shame for getting sick. And we know from public health that shame is definitely not going to stop this pandemic. Secondly, and maybe a little less heavy, I'm going to send more cards. I love getting them. I love picking them out. And I'm bad at actually writing and sending. Those are the, those last two steps are my focus. What about you, Meg? Ooh, I'm really excited about yours because I send you cards and they go into the black hole abyss of sending Melissa cards. And so, I love them. You know, I have, I have new, uh, new high hopes and expectations. Um, <laughs> you know, for myself, I'm doubling down on community ed. And this was kind of a surprise to me that I found my way to community ed because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of not what I think that person is, like a person who likes to be around a lot of other people. Um, but but something about what's been lost in all of our isolation and quarantining and mask wearing, which just for the record, I highly support. And now I find it really odd that we went around breathing in other people's faces. But anyway, something that was lost in all of that, um, I really feel kind of made whole again when I'm floral arranging or studying French or um, learning how to care for my aging parents in community. Uh, so I'm going to, um, I'm going to do that. There's a dog sledding introduction that's calling <laughs> my name. So it looks like 2022 is the year of community ed for me. Well, I can't wait to see how that goes. Breda, the weekly news roundup uh, took a bit of a hiatus at the end of the year. Did we get a Murphy's Law effect? Was there a bunch of progress made while we were busy celebrating the end of the year and eating too many peanut butter blossoms? Nope. <laughs> uh, in, in all serious though, we did get one piece of good news this week, which is that CMS decided to limit its coverage of that controversial Alzheimer's drug, Adahelm, that I'm sure everyone has heard of, as well as actually all monoclon monoclonal antibodies targeting amyloid for Alzheimer's treatment. And they limited the coverage, or at least proposed to, we'll see what happens in the final rule, to beneficiaries who are enrolled in clinical trials. And this is important because the increase to Part B premiums for 2022 was the highest in the history of the Medicare program. And that was due in part to uncertainty about how widely CMS would cover this expensive drug. 
And now HHS Secretary Becerra has indicated that he wants to reverse part of that premium increase. Experts also had a lot of safety and efficacy concerns about aldehelm. So both limiting its use and limiting the degree to which its high price is passed on to all Medicare beneficiaries through Part B premiums are both good things, I think. We say good news, but for people, you know, patients, families, caregivers struggling with Alzheimer's, it's not difficult to imagine how this decision and change lands. On one hand, we all want safe, effective, affordable treatment. And on the other, we have desperation, you know, hope that something or anything can help restore the cognitive function, um, our own cognitive function or that of our loved ones who experience this. It just is a good reminder that all healthcare is human and human is hard. Um, with little else to explore in end of year, start of year Medicare news, should we move on to what's on the docket? You bet. Thankfully, there are no conferences to attend in January as we're all recovering from the holidays and Omicron is still in full swing, but that doesn't mean that nothing is happening. At CMMI, for example, the start of a new year means the start of some new models and also some new performance years for existing models. And I should note by new models, I don't mean models that were designed under the Biden administration. CMS has indicated that they likely won't release any of their own new models before 2023. But I mean models that were designed and cleared under the Trump administration and are being launched under the Biden administration. One of these models is the Comprehensive Kidney Care Contracting Model, quite a mouthful, or CKCC for short. This is the successor model to the Comprehensive ESRD Care Model, or CEC model, that ended in 2020. Unlike CEC, the new model, CKCC, includes Medicare beneficiaries with chronic kidney disease stages 4 and 5, in addition to beneficiaries with end-stage renal disease. It actually also uses the same financial methodology as the direct contracting model, which has gotten significantly more public attention and scrutiny. Speaking of which, uh, global and professional direct contracting starts its second performance year in 2022. And this will be the first full year for the model since the first performance year was only nine months long. We also have the second cohort of the primary care first model starting. This second cohort adds a few more pair participants, though probably not as many as CMMI had hoped for. And since multi-payer collaboration has been signaled as a top priority for this administration, CMS, it will be interesting to see how this multi-payer model fits with that new engagement strategy. In the end-of-year sessions hosted by the Learning and Action Network, one of the repeated themes was more coordination between CMMI, CMS, and CMCS, and more direct work with states, including the announcement of the State Transformation Collaborative, which could play a significant role in future innovations in care and payment. I Lots to figure out there. I also don't think we can start the new year without discussing the disappointment that we have no Build Back Better bill in sight, really. Yeah, correct. In our last episode, we discussed our disappointment at losing the hearing and vision benefits as part of a potential Medicare expansion of benefits in that bill. But now it's unclear if any version of the bill will pass at all. And slightly off topic, but a little bit related to Build Back Better, a few weeks ago, Rachel Cohen, who's a great journalist, guest wrote a piece on Medicare Advantage payment reform for Matt Iglesias's slow, boring Substack. And she pointed out that Build Back Better had at one point included cuts to MA payments, which got removed after Kristen Sinema penned a letter opposing them. 
The article had a really good comprehensive review of the history of overpayment to Medicare Advantage plans and argued that MA payment reform should still be a goal. We would normally mention a link that you could go to to read this, but unfortunately you do need to be a subscriber to Slow Boring in order to read it. Speaking of which, thank you to Slow Boring superfan Melissa Cohen for sharing it with me. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, there have been some critiques of Medicare Advantage coming out recently. Any Medicare Advantage payment reform would definitely lower the costs to build back better. Medicare Advantage spending is growing so much faster right now than traditional Medicare, and the margins are just too good. When I was at Anthem, and this is not a secret because it was repeated constantly on earnings calls and internally, the strategy was all in on Medicare Advantage growth, just because the margins compared to ASO were too good. I don't know whether Medicare Advantage will see policies this year that begin to seriously rein in the growth of spending, but they should all, all the Medicare Advantage plans, should be reading the signs that a tipping point is nearing for action on their costs, on risk adjustment upcoding, and especially compared to traditional Medicare. The growth of MA enrollment, the narrowing of that distance between what traditional Medicare can offer through APMs, and Medicare Advantage, the, the criticism of for-profit interest in the direct contracting model, all of these many roads right now are leading back to questioning the value in MA. And at the same time, as you point out, Melissa, plans and plan provider joint ventures are tripling down on MA as the future. And so they're, they're creating their own pressure here that as, as more growth happens, these issues and these challenges and the rising cost of the model is going to become more square in the sights of policymakers. Next up is the meat of our program today. In this segment, we'll offer a mix of predictions with some recommendations sprinkled in. I'm going to tee up a question for the group. First question. CMS and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation has laid out some key priorities engaging new types of providers, especially safety net providers, focusing on health disparities, and creating payment models that encourage multi-payer alignment. But we have also heard that no new models are coming out the door until 2023. So what's CMS going to do in 2022? What will we see from CMS that indicates that they are driving towards these goals? And then for the recommendation part, what should they be doing? Breda, you want to kick us off? Sure. It's true that CMS has mentioned health equity, safety net providers, and a desire to work more closely with Medicaid, but we haven't yet heard much information about what policies they plan to pursue related to those topics. I would guess that on the health equity side, we'll see more health equity quality measures added to CMMI models. We already saw this when the Biden CMS added some equity measures to the ESRD treatment choices or ETC model earlier in 2021. And I guess that they'll make those measures or similar measures standard across all new models and maybe try to add some to existing models as well. We may also see a model that specifically targets health equity, but as you mentioned, Melissa, that probably would not be announced until 2023. And as far as CMMI trying to engage safety net providers and Medicaid, it seems likely that we won't really hear much before 2020, 2023 on that either. We'll expect that they'll continue talking about it, but they'll probably be trying to design new models rather than modifying existing models, and that will take some time. You know, Medicaid covers more people than Medicare in the United States, but CMMI has had far more Medicare models to date, in part because Medicaid models require state collaboration and a whole separate set of waivers. 
There are also a host of issues that st state Medicaid agencies deal with that are different than the issues CMS deals with for Medicare. For example, enrollment churn, which will likely be even more intense than usual in the coming months as the continuous enrollment requirements from the Family First Coronavirus Response Act wind down. One thing that we've heard from some of our Medicaid colleagues at Herrera is that in 2022, it'll be important for CMMI to think of state Medicaid agencies not as stakeholders, but as partners. They really need the states to be fully on board in order to test anything meaningful or design anything meaningful in the Medicaid space. Meg, question to you. I have a hard time separating predictions and recommendations, but it's not a stretch to say they'll run the models they have. And I agree with Breda, they'll introduce some basement or like floor level requirements for health equity, um, probably in the space of quality measures and data collection. They may open direct contracting to more applicants, but you know, the end of the year brought a lot more public criticism of that model um, that had been building for some time. And so between the statements that administration officials have made about being open to and, and actively considering potentially a new application cycle for direct contracting and this rather high profile public criticism, including most recently from Congress, that really could go either way, um, keeping the door closed and those who are unhappy are still unhappy. Um, those who didn't get to participate, but you open the door and through it, what enters when you've got all this criticism of the model and of the particular players in it. So I'll say that with respect to the totality of the portfolio at CMMI, I'm hopeful that 2022 will bring about more direct co-development with states, with commercial payers, providers, and with any luck with patients too, and that they can leverage the goals around getting all lives in an APM while also pivoting a bit away from checking the APM box to really focusing on what is different about the care delivery and the engagement of patients that drives better health outcomes and focusing their resources on being an accelerant for that. Okay, second question. As we just discussed, health disparities or health equity conversations are everywhere. Lots of task forces, lots of discussions, less action. One of the ways that we have seen conversations on this topic go when solutioning is around paying for new benefits, like enhanced care management or services around social determinants. In the Medicare and Medicaid programs, what new benefits do you think states and managed care companies will look to roll out in 2022? Breda, again to you. On the Medicaid side, we've heard from our Medicaid colleagues at Herrera that the continued strain of COVID may inhibit states' efforts to promote health equity. But there is some hope that maybe federal funds from the American Rescue Plan Act could be helpful if they are spent not only on immediate COVID response needs, but also other barriers to health, such as homelessness, food insecurity, provider shortages, mental health care, substance use disorders, or other public health infrastructure gaps. That's tough, um, especially because you know states need to figure out what to do there when the money runs out. Regarding Medicare Advantage supplemental benefits to address social determinants, it's worth noting that special supplemental benefits for the chronically ill, or the SSBCI, have actually been permitted since 2020. Unlike other benefits, these do not need to be primarily health-related, but MA plans do need to have a plausible reason to believe that they will improve health for people with chronic illness. As an example, a plan could offer mold abatement in the home of an enrollee with asthma. The percentage of plans offering these benefits increased 
from 6% in 2020 to about 15% in 2021, but it's still relatively small. So it will be interesting to see if this upward trend continues. Of course, we don't know yet whether these benefits actually will improve health, and they're not available to Medicare beneficiaries in traditional Medicare. Melissa, I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes here at the meetup and uh, in the industry writ large, we focus too much on what the next change in policy or new APM model could allow or incentivize as if that's the only motivation for making change. And instead of looking at what might already be possible under existing rules, in the case of your example, it is fascinating that as a country, this is part of the path that we've chosen like to abate mold, maybe through your Medicare managed care plan. Once you turn 65, it gets to the core of one of my concerns with funneling limited dollars uh, for SDOH through private insurers or even providers and at-risk contracts. Um, is my MA plan paying for mold abatement really the solution? Isn't that far too little and far too late in the game? It also begs this question, do we believe that if we solved for social determinants of health, that health disparities would go away? Um, these issues can be related, but they are distinct, and the data does not bear out that all health disparities are due to social determinants of health. And so, you know, we must work on both. I'm afraid too much attention will be paid in this next year or next two years um, to hunting small game, health plan spending on SDOH, instead of addressing the bigger game, which is spending as we should in public health, in education, in economic policy that would make a more sustained impact and having healthcare delivery and insurance focus on racial inequities in care. Meg wholeheartedly agree, but uh, as long as all of the money is in healthcare, that is where the mold abatement, meal delivery, and home construction is going to be. I think society writ large needs to agree to fund some of these other areas that we so desperately need. I find that very depressing. <laughs> But we can but we can move on. <laughs> Next question. Uh, the pandemic will eventually subside, although it's not starting out that way. My my daughter is sitting on the couch in this podcast studio because her daycare is closed for the next two weeks. But eventually this pandemic will subside. And so the question is, how has the healthcare system changed from COVID? This is not government program specific, but it definitely can be. What changes and what stays the same when this public health emergency ends? Uh, besides like mass jubilation, like streets. <laughs> I, I'm assuming we're having a ticker tape for a parade, <laughs> you know. That's really wide open. I'm going to go narrow and a bit against my general intuitions, which tend to skew towards gradual, sustained and incremental change and say that the workforce is, is in the midst of a massive upending. Um, where we were with workforce shortages prior to COVID in healthcare, plus the great resignation that's impacting every industry, plus changes in care delivery and care seeking that consumers have pursued uh, because of the pandemic, plus the exponential burnout um, from COVID, that all has the potential to seismically shift the ground so significantly under the healthcare labor markets that I think we're in for the kind of disruption we've never encountered before. I think the changes will come in waves. Here's my tendency towards the incremental and gradual again um, and play out over the next two to five years. But I think that we may see market consolidation uh, due to employers competing for talent, which is different than 
uh, healthcare institutions consolidating for other reasons like market competition or price. We'll see more and more policy around the scope of practice as healthcare delivery tries to make do with the workforce it has. And this should all further fuel the fire for virtual care, hospital at home, and any other not the traditional model of care um, delivery, innovations and changes. If we're lucky, perhaps far enough upstream, there will be a more serious movement to address the cost of medical education. Phew. That is a lot. I mean, for the for the bricks and mortar that still exist, I hope that some of the lessons learned, the emergency preparedness, pandemic readiness, to some degree becomes more ingrained. A lot of these health systems, public health institutions had to adapt really quickly. Large-scale vaccine distribution, COVID wards, planning around overcapacity, staff resources, PPE. But now that we have protocols in place, I hope we retain some of that muscle memory that we've learned from it and that we continue to prioritize it. Yes, definitely. And it, and it's one thing to have written a pandemic playbook off of the experience with the Ebola virus, um, you know, in anticipation that someday a virus may come, which is uh, much more easily airborne and contagious and uh, long lasting. Um, it's another to rewrite that playbook, having been there and done that the past two years. Oh, yeah. Let's let's hope that we actually learn something from all of this. Okay. Last look into the crystal ball. Any final thoughts? So our family's watching Ted Lasso. Are you all watching Ted Lasso? Every, I'm going to assume everybody's watching Ted Lasso. <laughs> um, you know, Coach Lasso takes issue with this British saying, which I didn't know before the show, that it's it's the hope that kills you. And uh, he believes and believe. And in that spirit, I close with this prediction. People will return to long deferred care in 2022. The pandemic will ease its unrelenting grip on healthcare delivery, and that will open access to all the deferred colonoscopies, mammograms, well child visits, dental cleanings that have been delayed for far too long. You know, utilization is a funny thing. Too much is bad. It costs too much. It turns out too little, also bad. So we will see the return of care and access. Yes, to preventative care, but Good luck to CMI figuring out how to set historical benchmarks with that. Well, that is it for our 2022 forecast. Let's hold ourselves accountable and see how well we do. There's the bell. That means that we're near the end, just enough time for our aha moment. Who wants to jump in here? Any revelations this past month to share with listeners? I think I went last month, but I'm going again. So it turns out, and this feels obvious, but it's not something that we've really been focused on in healthcare. Ransomware is a big threat. It can have huge repercussions on care. And because of this, providers are incredibly vulnerable. A recent trade-offs podcast focused on the threat of ransomware. Um, and it's really just not something that we've invested in a lot in healthcare until recently, but this big push to make medical records digital, get rid of paper, makes healthcare institutions vulnerable to hackers. The organization that was spotlighted was a clinic that provided chemotherapy and dialysis. And without their patient records, they didn't know who needed what when. They didn't have records of drug allergies or dosage, and they needed to completely shut down. Obviously, it makes sense to push providers to use technology and not file folders. But in the same way that interoperability was not fully thought through, it seems neither was cybersecurity. 
and dollars are necessary to prevent these types of attacks. It's really expensive, but there's no funding coming from government for this. Maybe larger institutions have the cash to protect themselves, but as a healthcare community, we need to find ways to shore up those smaller providers that are also vulnerable. You know that phrase, I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people? It, it feels very appropriate here. Touche. And with that addition to the list of things we should be worrying about in healthcare, thank you very much, Melissa. <laughs> I think that's a wrap for today. We hope you enjoyed the first Medicare meetup of 2022. See you all in February. Thank you for joining us for the Medicare meetup today. If you liked what you heard, be sure to tell us, share the podcast, follow us on Twitter at Arrera Health. That's A-U-R-R-E-R-A Health. If you have questions or thoughts about future guests or to subscribe to our Medicare News Roundup, you can always reach us at medicare at arerahealth.com. Finally, before we go, have you hugged your Medicare loved one today? No? Do it. Hugs are back. Medicare is destination health coverage. We all end up here if we're lucky. But isolation isn't the destination we want for ourselves or for one another. So reach out, text, or send mail. People love mail. And until next time, this has been Breda, Melissa, and Meg with your Medicare Meetup.